Curtis Mayfield story. At one point, maybe 10 years ago, Curtis Mayfield to me was the guy who did Superfly. Maybe I knew he'd been in the impressions. But then I'm in his store and I see this record here, this Back to the World. And, you know, it's a used record. And so I take a chance on it and it's pretty good. Next, uh, I find this album. There's no place like America today. Found it on vinyl and it instantly became one of my favorite albums of all time. Fast forward 10 years and I'm, I bought my CD player and I'm just getting rid of records, getting rid of whatever records I can stand to get rid of. So I make this all Curtis Mayfield tape and then I start to sell my Curtis Mayfield. So I sold There's No Place Like America today and I pretty well regret it every day since. I mean, not only do I regret not having the vinyl, but the truth is, and this is like the crux of this story, the truth is that having that CD, though it eases the pain somewhat, in another way, it doesn't help at all and even makes it worse. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! Don't blow us all to atoms! All right, welcome everyone. This is That Record Got Me High. I am your host, Rob Elba. It is wonderful having you all here with me again. It's great. I'm here in my little room. Now I have a smaller room. I, I know I, I mentioned this a while ago. Uh, I have my 91-year-old mother moved in with us, so I was moved. I don't have an office anymore, so I, I moved into a smaller area. I'm basically just getting put in smaller places, smaller places, till I guess I'll be in a closet maybe eventually doing these. But it's fine. Everything's fine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and before I, before I get to my guests, I just want to mention real quick uh, thanks to patron Corey Dubrawa for increasing his subscription amount, which I, I mentioned that is something you could do. He listened uh, he listened to an episode and he said, you know what, Rob, I'm, I'm going to raise my uh, subscription because I'm just enjoying this so much. And that's great. So uh, we really appreciate it. Corey, don't forget, if you want to become a patron of the show, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You can become a patron like our good friend Corey, and like uh, my guest tonight, which I really appreciate that he is now a patron of the show. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Canadian documentary filmmaker Alan Zweig. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> I t- did, did you like that, Alan? I was trying to be high in- really high energy. Being very enthusiastic for <laughs> all Jews. That's right, I know. We were... <laughs> Alan Ware. Now, Alan, do you think, see, automatically, I'm going to be honest with you, I have, I think you're from Canada, so I'm thinking, eh, he's a Jew, but he's a Jew from Canada. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I'm thinking he's a Jew, but he's a Jew named Elba. What kind of Fercukta Jewish name is Elba? Uh, it's a Polish, my, it's a Polish, my dad was from Poland, and uh, they, okay. they were Jews from Poland, so it is well, legit. You know, Jews in, in Canada are more Jews than Canadians. So Oh, okay. I would, okay. I would I I would yeah, I get what you're saying. Right. You right. think we're gonna be polite <laughs> Jews. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is kind of it's almost like an oxymoron, no, right? Yeah, oxymoron, but no. <laughs> We're we're Jews through and through. Okay, good. That's good to hear. And of course, I just got to mention you're from Canada, so I'm automatically jealous of you because you're you're in Canada and not in, in the United States right now, which is I don't know if you've heard, but is uh, slowly. Uh, yeah. Did, well, you, did you say we're good? I don't know if you've heard, but. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Alan- I've heard. We're very aware. Extremely aware okay. of yeah. everything. Right. How could you there. not be? How and, could you not be? Yeah, you know what? Sometimes we're jealous of America. Often, but right, right, yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, that's give and take. But this, this could really be the end. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, anyway, that's not. We're not here to talk about any of that. I just want to mention real quick. Uh, you know, Alan, his films have included uh, the groundbreaking vinyl 
Uh, I uh, curmudgeon when Jews were funny. And the most recent one is records, right? R- records is the most recent one. Records is, is the kind of sequel to vinyl. Right, right. It's my vinyl was my first. And then I did 10. And then I thought, well, let's start over again. So <laughs> I did, another, I did but, another one about records. But you're in a much better place than you were uh, when you did that's vinyl. That's why right? I made <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's basically, I watched vinyl one day and thought, yeah you were really miserable back then. And all the people that think you were a little down on record collecting, I don't think I was, but maybe I could do one where I'm not down on it or my right. life. So. And I'm sure there's people that still complain about it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Not many, there. you know, yeah, not many when it, yeah. You know, people, if you make a, well, you probably know this, if you make a film about what they do, they want, they've been waiting all this time for that thing to be exalted. And if you uh, right. go, yeah, you know, yeah, it's okay what you do, but it's not like the greatest thing ever. They're like, huh, what yeah. happened? You broke, you broke my trust. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. In the show, when we do a, a record by a band that, you know, someone's a really big fan of, yeah, it automatically it raises the stakes for them. Like, sometimes they don't understand you're not, we were just doing an episode on one record, you know, we're not doing an an entire band's career and not, you know, so some people right. don't get that. But uh, we've come around to that. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen today because nobody in your audience knows Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> well, well that's, I mean, they do, in a way they do, because I would say most people of a certain age are going to know um, Superfly. Superfly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's give a you, you you gave it away, but what uh, what is the artist we're talking about and the record we're talking about? We're talking about Curtis Mayfield, and the record's called "There's No Place Like America Today." Good title for our previous discussion. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's. it's let me. I'll just give a little thing you want, or no, I don't yeah, have yeah, to. No, like, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Curtis Mayfield was in the Impressions in the '60s. Curtis Mayfield wrote two or three songs that those kind of songs that you can't even imagine somebody wrote them you just think those songs came down from heaven he wrote people get ready i saw that he wrote people get ready when he was 23 years old people get ready as a train of coming you don't need no baggage you just get on He wrote, it's all right, it's all right. Like, can you imagine? And then he wrote this, move on up, keep on keeping on. Like, he wrote these very uh, iconic songs. Right, right. And he was in the band, The Impressions, who were uh, like a three-man. They were not like The Temptations, but three guys singing. And then he... uh, he quit. He started his own label, Kurt Tom, and he started making solo records. And for me, just if people are interested, the first, this one we're talking about today came out in 75. The first one he made came out in 70. Uh, Superfly, I think, was 72 or 73. Right. And in those five years, he made five records that I would put up there with, you know, anybody's five records, like to me. Anyway, and, and yeah. my favorite is There's No Place Like America Today, but I I would say probably Curtis Mayfield fans would pick one of the other four. But Right, okay. right. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, so you, uh, yeah, this, um, you, you're obviously a big fan of him, and this is the record you, you picked, because, yeah, you know, you're going to have a, a, you know, you could probably name, depending on your mood, you're going to listen to one of the other ones, maybe. But, uh, well, yeah. I mean, just to be clear, I just, if I, if I can just say one thing, maybe. I've, I hear you say on these things like the last one, guys don't overthink it. It's like, of course we're going to overthink it. Like right, I right. Could, <laughs> I, have, I have 20 different things I could pick, but this record, 
I talk about in my film Vinyl, which your viewers could go on YouTube and see. And this record has been a thing for me for, you know, like 30 years. So I just thought, okay. Right. As a tribute to my own old film, I would pick this one is an easiest. It, it occupies a special place for me in my life, really. Yeah. So... And and me, uh, as you would probably guess, I had no, you know, I I, I obviously realized, oh, yeah, I do know uh, some of his things and I've heard some of his songs. But this album I had never listened to before. I didn't know anything about this record and I've been listening to it all week. And yeah, of course, there's no denying. It's a great record. I mean, it's so good. It's it's just great. And he was as a songwriter just taking anything else just the, the way he sings and his guitar playing with everything but just as a songwriter his lyrics are poetry and they're also intelligent very intelligent you could tell yes. you could just tell he was a very intelligent guy and he had very he had very deep uh, you know thoughts that he wanted to convey and everything wasn't you know to, it's, it, it sounds kind of funny saying everything wasn't black and white but I feel like that I feel like every, you know oh, yeah, he, no. he realized everything wasn't black and white to him right no, I, I should say this. I am not really a lyrics person. Even when I have the lyrics on the back, I don't. And, you know, when people talk about the lyrics, like even on your show, I'm often like, really, that song's about that? Like, I've been right, hearing right. that song forever. <laughs> and with Curtis, I've heard snippets. Obviously, the lyrics, he's pretty clear the way he sings. You can hear the lyrics. But I never really... But also there was a mystery to it. And I have to say, you know, preparing for your show. And I'm like, okay, look at the lyrics. Even when I've looked at the lyrics, except in a couple of cases, I'm like, hmm. Like, like you know, like whatever. He has a song about Jesus, but he's talking about Jesus like he's some corner boy. Like he's, right, right. He's, you know, like, so yeah, I think it's, you know, like we could talk about the thing, but one of the things I love about the record is that you can hear the band. Like, you can really hear the band. It's oh, a yeah, pretty yeah. ripped-down band. You know, here's an interesting thing that I don't even know how this happens. But, so, Curtis Mayfield is listed as number 34 in Rolling Stone's greatest guitar players of all time. Okay, how many guitar players that are on that list don't play leads, don't play flashy? All he's right, doing is right, to... Right. Like, I don't even know, like, because there's two guitar players in the band. And right. I don't yeah, even know. Also, yeah. And, and you can't tell, yeah, who's playing what, right? Because you got yeah. uh, Gary Thompson and Phil Upchurch as well. But yeah, and there's no, uh, but there's really great, uh, when you listen to it, there's great guitar playing on this, though, because it's very tasteful and there's some, uh, you know, very soulful and, um, and there's some uh, very subtle wah-wah, like they, they, they use the yeah. wah-wah really good where it's not like overdone. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I understand because it is great because you can hear everything. You hear every little, you know, every hi-hat uh, on the drummer and, and you know, and, and when the bass comes in, everything is just so perfectly well done, well played. And then, and then you don't even, you, we haven't even talked about his voice which I guess he was dubbed the uh, gentle uh, genius. And, uh, and he, so he, he often sings in this like really smooth, delicate falsetto, which is, uh, but he's got really great control of it. And he puts a lot of, he, he, he uh, uh, puts a lot of feeling into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is when I hear him sing, I think, you know, I imagine somebody, you interviewing him and going, Curtis, I love your falsetto and him going, well, Rob. Yeah, right. You know, like, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you find out that's just his voice. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't really sound like falsetto in, you know, in the whatever other people who they're going for it. It just sounds like he has a weirdly sweet high voice. Right, right. And and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't feel put on. Right. Anyway. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah, that was kind of the point I was making, too, because it does. It's funny. We uh, we recently did a record by Ween, and sometimes Ween will do songs where they'll sing in that soulful falsetto voice. But you could tell they're kind of in a way. And I'm sure it's something they also love and they really love. And they're probably they could very well be fans of him as well. But it's just authentic. When he does it, you know, it's his it's just his voice and how he's going to yeah, I mean, I present get, like, himself. 
you could probably name, I could say, you know, I don't really like falsetto. And then you can name, what about this? What about this? And you'd, I'd be like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I right, like that. Right, right. But in general, I don't think of myself as liking falsetto. I think it's kind of weird. It's like you see this manly, like, uh, I don't know, I'm just thinking of who... Like like Frankie Valley or something like that. <laughs> right. Like it's, it seems like come on, like that's your voice. But yeah. walk like a man, and you're singing "Walk Like yeah. a Man," and you're singing it like that. Yeah. <laughs> that. I didn't know you had a girl in the band, but anyway. But anyway, that yeah. You know, I the other thing. So I'll just say about this record is that it's the most stripped down of the ones he did oh, okay. mostly they're a bit lusher than this one and i think that when i first heard it the uh the stripped downness was uh it sort of knocked me like it sort of put me it didn't put me off negatively it just sort of it had a weird effect on me like oh now i can hear everything and it, i don't know i just wish he had done more records like this but Anyway, that's right. Well, we should mention oh, one thing I discovered that we, me and uh, me and Curtis share the same birthday, June third. Uh, but he died. Uh, he died in nineteen ninety nine at the very young age of fifty seven. He died of he died of type two diabetes, which I am not going to die of, but I do have it. Oh, okay, okay. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. But he also and he had a horrible accident on stage in like nineteen ninety, where right. he was uh, paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember the first time you heard him and maybe did you hear him and, and not even realize it was him and later and, and, re- and realize Well, maybe that- I'm sure I heard people get ready and all that. Right. Right. I, I, if I, what I would say without making like a whole autobiographical speech is that I would say at this moment, I probably do have somewhat eclectic taste, but I also have like, there is a center to my taste and that center has sort of, abided from the time I was 13 to now. Like, you know, there I remember a lot of record reviews in the 90s or 80s where they would say it's a cross between the Birds and Velvet Underground. And like, that was totally my sweet spot. That's why I like the Feelies and I like the Luna. And I like bands like that. And, and, you know, all through the 60s, I just, I was just, you know, I bought... I bought the first Led Zeppelin record, the first Jefferson Airplane, the first band music from Big Pink, and and you know in the in the seventies I bought you know the punk Clash and the Buzzcocks and the, you know but and even you know Talking Heads and whatever television. But what happened was for some reason, and it could have been like videos and. Duran Duran and something, but like in the early eighties, it's like, I couldn't find any, I couldn't in that lane that I liked, I couldn't find anything. And I mean, eventually later in the decade, I did find, you know, dream syndicate and gun club and the silo is an REM and replacements. But there was this moment like early eighties where it just seemed like, Oh, maybe I was watching too much, videos but it's just like oh duran duran and abc and oh right you've you've said like oh, and all this none of this stuff, stuff like, is for me right none, none of this me out me. of my yeah like rock and roll is dead where's punk now come back right so and then and then at that time i don't know how many used record stores there had been in toronto before that but i had never been to one and then I went to a used record store like in the early 80s and I was so hungry for something that I just went Bleh, like right. my mind exploded in a million directions. And I realized jazz was fun to find and I like gospel and I like bluegrass and I liked Blind Willie Johnson and Doc Watson and Al Green and Captain Beefheart. And that's when I discovered, yeah. I, I heard, I saw, you know, you would buy a record just because it looked intriguing. And there is this, the first record I bought by the impression is called The Young Mods Forgotten Story. Let me sing a song, I won't make it too long, about the young mods forgotten story. And they're wearing like mod caps and something. And it's mods. I don't know. You don't you don't associate them with young black guys, right? It just seemed like 
an intriguing title. And then I bought that one. It was like, you know, when you hear the impression for Curtis Mayfield or something, it's, it's immediate. Like for me, it was immediate. It's like, this is not just some soul guy that I've never heard of. This guy's like a auteur. He's like a, you know, he's like Bob Marley or something like that. He's right, not right. just, he's not, you know, he's not, it's like, I, you know, it's the same with a lot of the stuff that I'm eclectic in is like, I don't want to hear another version of Dr. Mojo working, but I love Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And here was Curtis Mayfield. And I thought, okay, he is like, He's out there by himself. Yeah. Nobody sounds like this. And the, the real deal. Then, you, you know right away yeah. you can tell he's the real deal. Right. So then I bought another I bought a Curtis Mayfield record called Back to the World. And I loved it. And I even thought about making that the record I brought here. It's a little more lush. It's a little more obviously political. It's sort of something about Vietnam and all that. And then I found this one that we're talking about today. So yeah. yeah. It's 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 it they made in the yeah, it came out in the seventies and no I wasn't there like I grew up with Motown and Stax and Wilson Pickett and Otis Redding but right. no I don't know where uh, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions from Chicago you know it's funny when you're from Toronto Detroit is like four hours away so Detroit is like you know a lot of bands from Detroit played in Toronto a lot of Toronto bands played in Detroit so. Yeah, we were inundated with Motown, but Curtis Mayfield was not on my radar when I was, you know, when I was a young guy buying records. But yeah, when I got let down by the by rock and roll, I just, yeah, I, I just like, and you know, used record stores have been a very important influence on my life, probably the oh, most yeah. important. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, most, that's an understatement. Like, at this you know, point, I, right? I mean, I made two films about it. And it's like, yeah. So yeah. Curtis Mayfield is like a record collecting story for me. Like, right, right. Okay, so let's get into the record. Uh, let's listen to the first track, Billy Jack, like a, a story song. And I'm assuming, it, you know, it's about someone. Billy Jack could be someone real, or just to use the name. I don't know, but uh, let's listen to a little bit of a Billy Jack. <laughs> start one thing i noticed about this record is that most of the songs really take their time and they're yeah. very cinematic you know it's like there's sort of uh, uh, there's a scene being set and then finally you know there's a the slow build intro and then finally when he comes in telling the story about this guy billy jack it's like you you know it's just, so it is very cinematic. yeah well yeah i mean when i thought about you doing a record on the show i thought is this going to drive him crazy because there's only seven songs. And like, I know sometimes the person says to you, Oh, play that part in the middle. And then you cut to that. And I'm like, Oh, he'll be, 
he'll be cutting this thing up forever trying to give a sense <laughs> of, of what it is. But yeah, it they all take their time. And here's I have a question for you because I'm not a musician, but do these songs have choruses? Do they have bridges? Or are they all just kind of verse? Like that's what that's what I mean. Like they don't there are these little things that come in. I'm like I was looking at one song and it's like, okay, when the horns come in, is that the bridge? Like that's funny. Yeah, the- that that's funny you said that because I was at some point I was gonna bring that up because they, they do, most of them do, but they're subtle. It's all very subtle. Yeah. If there is a chorus, it's a subtle chorus. And you can only miss yeah. oh yeah, okay, that kind of could be the chorus. And oh yeah, let's say that's the bridge, but it's yes, very linear. And there is one or two songs that is basically just like just an ongoing thing and there it, it isn't really broken up like that. But yeah, that's very uh you're you're right. There there is no obvious uh verse, chorus, verse, bridge, you know, that that's not yeah. going on with his so- Anyway, I wasn't. I wrote down the lyrics, and so for it is about yeah, it's about Billy Jack is about sounds like some kind of you know I was like when you hear this song, it's like well no wonder they picked him to do the soundtrack to Superfly. Like yeah, said, up in the city they called him Boss Jack, but down home he was an alley cat. And then this the thing like this is an unusual lyric. Didn't care nothing about being black, Billy Jack. Yeah, like, that's a great. Of lots course. of stuff about that. There's lots of yep. stuff that kind of like, am I supposed to be hearing this conversation? Like <laughs> it's like some secret language that he's letting you in on. You know? Yes, uh, you're right. There and there's a lot of that that goes on in this record. Yeah, and that's a, exactly that you keyed on that. He didn't care nothing. So basically, he's singing about this guy that was like a local badass. And who lived life fast, but also lived like he wanted to live, lived his life. So he didn't care. Yeah. You know, he didn't care about whatever the time said about what was going on, you know, whatever about. Uh, and, and and it's also it's also very in a way, it's very unsentimental. He's not being sentimental right. about it because he yeah, says, no, uh, you know, hey, his life ran out of time and, and now he no yeah. longer lives. And too bad, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. He says the man is gone, uh, uh, but it's a wonder he lived this long. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is a really, this reminds me of something I've thought about people in my life sometimes that died, kind of like, don't feel bad, he did, he lived, you know, he knew he was doing this to him, he lived a short life, he had a good life, you know, I mean, he's obviously, this guy's a gangster, of course, you know I didn't grow up with gangsters, but yeah, anyway, the, the lyrics... Like the, the, did you have a feeling in the record that even though it's not a concept record, that the way the songs flow, it almost is kind of a because you know they say this thing about when I don't know why, but you know Curtis's first record, it's called Curtis has this amazing song called We People Who Are Darker Than Blue, and I read in this review it said it came out before Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. I'm like, well, so. What are you you trying to say? But I think (laughs) they're trying to say that he kind of was the first one to do kind of, because, you know, his music is very political and the songs kind of fit together. Anyway, I'm just, there is something about this record for me that makes me feel like he lives in a part of town and he's introducing me to like, you know, life down there in a, but in a really sweet way or something? I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I feel like, well, we could talk about it in this next song because I see this next song, uh, When Seasons Change, I sort of feel a sort of self-empowerment uh, thing going through there. Okay. And I think that's what he goes through a lot. Like, like he's not digging too hard into the struggles and times are tough and struggling. He's basically also saying, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? You're going to, you know, you, you're, you're in charge of yourself. You got to lift yourself up. And that is, I feel like that may be the sort of theme that goes through this whole record is that he's not okay. getting, he's not, he, you know, he's not being woe is me and he's not, which right. he did. That's what he did with the Superfly too, the black exploitation stuff. A lot of them, he wasn't interested in glamorizing like these, the uh, life of a drug dealer and stuff like that. He was being, real about it and he was saying these are real people but he didn't want to glamorize it because he said look you know look what happens to these people they end up having you know short lives they're taken too soon and it's not glamorous you know i have to tell you this is like a weird thing maybe you're maybe you're used to this but i'm always kind of amazed that musicians who you know 
play guitar and stuff like that, and they learn the instrument. And then somehow they're also good songwriters. And then somehow they're also good at lyrics. Why would they be good at lyrics? Well, my brother's a musician. I remember the first time he wrote a song when he was 15. I'm sure he'd be embarrassed now, but he'd be like, how did you do that? Like, I know you could play guitar, but that was a pretty clever lyric. <laughs> That's like, true. I see what I, you're saying, but I think it's a... Why would you be good at lyrics? Because you're a good guitar player. Like, Because you're an artistic, because you're an artistic person and because you're you're in touch with the, your art, uh, you know, the, the artist in yourself. So there, I do know there are some uh, technically really great musicians I know that can't write songs and they admit it and they know they can't write songs. They're just good musicians. So it's not necessarily, you know, one and the other, but yeah, someone that's really gifted artistically they could probably they'd probably if they wanted to they could probably be a really great painter too you know someone like right. like I'm prince just, i mean something. i'm just sort of looking at these lyrics and go like that these are beautiful lyrics and yeah like, yeah they really are already a good singer like why do you have to you have to take <laughs> all the talent like <laughs> can you leave some of it for us schmucks right. <laughs> Anyway, that's ahead. funny. That's the uh, Jew. That that's a junior. I do that all the time with people. It's like that's like drummers I know who also play guitar really good. It's like really, do you have to do both? Do you have to play everything great? All right, so let's get uh, to the second song. Let's listen to when seasons change. great couplet right there time makes you suffer when seasons change can't call no names when you got your own self to blame um just yeah. the uh, just when it starts out and just that hi-hat and it's still again like we said taking uh it's time till he finally comes in it's just beautiful. you know alan what you had messaged me asked because you were wondering if i liked it and i'd already been listening to it and i didn't i didn't give you an answer but what i said was serious i said what kind of monster do you think i am what kind of monster would not <laughs> like this record well, because well, you know because you because you i don't know i don't want to i'm not I don't want to stay too much. It's just like, yeah, sometimes you're like, I don't like jazz. I don't like country. I don't like this. So I'm, I don't like, oh, we're doing a soul record. I don't do too many. Like, you know, you, you, but I still, but but still, I play a character on the show. (laughs) You might not be in real life, but on the show, you play a character who's kind of like, you know, kind of not liking stuff off to the side. But But I'm not surprised you like it. (laughs) <laughs> but I actually do. But I actually do. When push comes to shove, I think you know. I, as I learn, as I go, especially doing this show in the past five years, I've learned. I think I don't like uh, things, and then right. when I get it exposed to it more and really dig into it, I say, "Oh no, that's really great." You exactly. know. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how. That's how I want my daughter to think about food. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Right. Don't dismiss that. You never even tried it. Exactly. But anyway, exactly. that's another thing. Okay. And let me just say one little plug. I said my brother is a musician. Have you ever heard of the Guess Who? Uh, yeah. Okay. He's not in the Guess Who, but Burton Cummings is. Burton Cummings is, Burton Cummings is yes. essentially Guess Who. And 
He has a band that plays with him when he plays concerts, and my brother is in that band. Oh, nice. Playing what? What instrument? He plays guitar, and actually they're going out. Burton and Randy Bachman, both from the Guess Who, are going out on tour this summer, and my brother will be one of the guitar players up there, and I won't give you any behind-the-scenes Nice. Uh, so. That's great, though. That's cool. Yeah, so that's my brother, the so guitar you, player. Wow, so he was a... a little so, so no instrument no instrument for you, not even when you were growing up? You didn't try anything? You no. Just said? Yeah, I tried everything, oh, and I had no... Was, well, that's, it's not for everyone. I tried. It's, it's one of the great <laughs> regrets of my life. I don't know. It, 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 I'm sure I'm not the only one. I have a recurring dream where I get called up on stage, and they come, why don't you jam with us? And then... They give me a guitar, and it turns out I'm pretty good. And they're, I'm like, how come, how come I didn't know? And they're all saying, well, you know, you've listened to so many records. Right. You've taken in so much music. It makes sense that you can play, play that tasty lick. I do have a lot of musician guests, but I have said before and many times, and I really do believe that the best music fans are non-musicians like uh, there's something yeah. about being a musician where you sort of see behind the curtain a little and you can't you can't love and and music as much yeah i, I, I always think like that. yeah sure what i mean you know i made two films about record collectors and i basically don't expect any musicians i know to be record collectors right it seems almost anathema yeah now yeah. as it turns out there are something you know Thurston Moore is a record collector and John Zorn is a record collector and Henry Rollins, et cetera, et cetera. None of them would be in my film, but that's another story. But so it's not true, but I get what you're saying. It's like, you know, my brother, it's, it's, it's a bit like that for film. You reach for me in films, like you reach a point where I've taken in all I can and now I don't want to really take in anymore. I want to put it out so I don't need to listen to records but anyway all right so this next one the next song so in love pretty much a straight up love yeah. song right straight up love song but he's i feel like he's so intelligent he can't help he subtly in the song points out uh, the uh, the fact that love and attraction are basically you can't explain like you can't explain them and he's kind of like he's kind of like bringing that up a little in this song i think even though he's trying to write a straight love song but he can't help but just get a little clever yeah i mean this is definitely i guess the most straightforward song even melodically and you know but it, it and it has this really pretty you know, horn and organ blend going on and and uh is there a chorus for this one uh can, well can, let's see i you know what i can let's listen to it right now and see let's listen to okay. so in love Yeah, I remember now. I think there is this is another uh, subtle chorus because he opens actually with a chorus. That "So in Love" is basically the chorus, and oh, he right. opens with yeah, it. Yeah, right. and then yeah, and then he goes into the verse after that. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, subtle that, and it's great. So are you now? I don't want to rush you, Rob, but I am looking forward. We don't have to play the Jew card too many times, but <laughs> now. Two Jews are going to talk about talk a song. About, uh, two white Jews are going to talk about a black guy who wrote a song about <laughs> called Jesus. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. 
This is my favorite song with Jesus in the title. It's well, so, it's it it is one of my favorite on the record, and this is one yeah. where it really doesn't. It's just sort of a song that sort of keeps going, and it's almost. I mean, you could almost say it's like uh, it's got a little rap hip hop in the fact that there's very there's yeah. a lot of lyrics in it. You know, let's listen to the opening first, and then we'll talk about it a little more. Let's listen to the opening okay. of Two Jews Talking About Jesus. <laughs> Maybe the words I say is just another way to pray. I don't know. Don't think that I'm innocent, cause I can't do nothing for you. I only ask of you just as I got to do myself. Look into your inner self. Only you know how to be free. If you want to grin, let it smile. Feel a little happy, go on, dance a while. Nobody played down God's loving child. Cause when the spirit hits you, you got to move. And just as he made us one of many, then aren't the many of us maybe only one? Surely can he be the rising sun, the, the depth of night, the light for sight? Sort of sets the moral standards of soul gives you the strength to pay the price of life and rewards you with a bit of fulfillment the definition of truth he is more real than you isn't he oh my doctor must have been a heavenly man Jesus a lot of inspiration yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, as we talk about it, I'll play more of the song underneath. But yeah, I've I've gone on record as saying before, I have I have no problem with uh, religion, really. You know, with people who really you know who love Jesus and want to sing about it, and a lot of really really good gospel music is beautiful because oh, yeah. they're singing it with such conviction. You know, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I love Blind Willie Johnson. I mean. If, if some guy stopped me on the screen and he was a preacher and he said this shit to me, I'd be like, get away from me. But right, right. Wine Willie Johnson, the staple singers, lots of bluegrass. Yeah, I, I, I like the Leuven Brothers and they, like, I love the music made by people singing about Jesus often. But uh, that doesn't mean I want to hear it anymore. No, well, don't, yeah, don't try and push it on me and say, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, obviously no, not. I, I, I spent a lot of time, yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time around Christians singing hymns. Hymns, that's one thing, but gospel music, you know, like, it's beautiful, and you can hear his gospel roots in this. And also, you know, the weird thing is, I don't even know that he is singing about Jesus in this song. I feel like he's sort of saying Jesus. Like, right. like, like you would say, damn right. Or like, he's like, I'd rather go to my grave. I'd rather go to my grave. Jesus. It's just like he's using it as a kind of exclamation point. It's not really a song to Jesus. I don't know. Maybe yeah, no, I, I agree with you because I feel like more, he's kind of like, if he is proselytizing, he's doing it about self-determination. Yeah, like there's this line, the world I see before me is trying to make me a slave. Jesus, like, that's about him. That's, yes. you know, him talking about his life. And right, Jesus, exactly, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe he's going, Jesus, save me. Maybe he's saying, Jesus, like he's turning to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, look what's happening right. to me. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, it's not a, it's, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing song. And when the, when it gets kind of funky, we're giving the impression that the record is all slow. And it is a slow-ish record, but it has its, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, this one really when cooks. the drums kick in, Yeah, it, it, it gets cooking. And uh, yeah, and he, he like, like I said, he, he's sort of spitting out these words. Uh, um, Look at here, and he says, "Look at here, uh, look at here. You need courage in time of fear because uh, of undying news you hear." So yeah, he's he, he's sort of 
you know, he's sort of, if, if he is saying, uh, you know, at some point in there, he does say something about Jesus loves you and loving Jesus. But I feel like he's saying you still have to put in the work. <laughs> You have to put in the work. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think he's kind of saying what a lot of people say. Look at Jesus as an example for your life more than... Because he has a thing. He's never had a hustle in mind, doing prime, wasting time, drinking that wine. Like, he's talking about Jesus. Right. Jesus didn't... If I can say this word. Jesus didn't fuck around. Jesus, Jesus, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is which, true, which is what I always say. Assuming, assuming he existed, which I'm not sure about, but if he did, he didn't fuck around. No, he didn't. And also, I always say, if people just, if, if, if true Christians really just stuck more to Jesus' original teachings, it, it, I would be much happier with them. It would be much better, really. <laughs> because yeah, most of what right. he said was like, great. <laughs> yeah, tell that. Tell that to Clarence fucking Thomas. There you Thanks. go. There it is. All right. So this uh, so this next one, Blue Monday People, is another fascinating song to me. I'm going to, let's, it's just, yeah, it's just really fascinating. Uh, let's listen to it and then we can talk about it. Uh, but just the lyrics in it just sort of blew me away. Uh, let's listen to Blue Monday People. Some people feel so empty All their problems and hurt of pride You make me so happy, sweet baby Love is by my side Waking up now in the morning basically about depression i think uh, yeah i mean that last line when cupboards are bare our love we can share i think it's you know um i definitely think it's about people struggling that seems pretty obvious and blue monday like whatever reason people you know going to work damn it's monday something like that i don't know maybe that's too literal but it does seem like a lot of the record is him saying kind of like, I know life is hard, but we have love, we have this, we have strength, we have things to help us. I don't know. Like that's a, it's a very positive right. message. And I find myself, you know, it's surprised. If, if the music and the lyrics weren't so kind of mysterious and, and beautiful, you'd be like, oh, it's up with people. Like, I, you know, like. <laughs> well, get, yeah, get no, but I, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think it's a little deeper than that because what I'm getting out of it is it's, it, it, when I say it's about depression, but it's also about finding uh, comfort, some comfort in the fact that there are other people struggling right. along with you and you're struggling. And sort yeah. of that, that's yeah. what I get out of it. And that's, that's a real sophisticated concept yeah. to be on a record, you know? It is, yeah. The songs are. I mean, the weird part for me is, like I say, I don't really, I don't really dig down into the lyrics. Right, even right, right, if right. I showed you the record, it's like, oh yeah, there are lyrics on the back, but they're so <laughs> dark. They're so dark, and it, I can't even read them. And but when I'm reading them, because when I'm doing this, I'm like, damn, yeah, this exactly. Is a, this is like some very artistically deep shit here. Like, and and the way. It is something about his voice delivering the lyrics. Oh yeah, like, yeah, for sure. That, that that's like, it. That's why said, I feel like even if you say you don't, you're not a lyrics person. 
it gets through to you because his delivery, yeah. the way he delivers no, it, I it mean, gets through. He said the word inventory and he made it made it poetic. That's right. not a word for a song inventory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So speaking of heaviness, this I feel like this next one hard is the heaviest song on the record. Yeah. I guess I'm not saying I don't like it, but is it my least favorite song? And maybe it's because it's kind of what I would expect, and it kind of feels like maybe it was a leftover from the Superfly soundtrack, which is not the only soundtrack he did, by the way, he did this. He did this one about prison called Short Eyes, and he did this one with the Staple Singers about, uh, like, this Bill Cosby movie. But anyway, this feels a bit... It's heavy, I, and I almost feel I almost feel a little uncomfortable. Like I don't feel qualified to speak on this too much, just because well, I think it's about he's. I give you, I give you permission. No, okay, great. <laughs> I have the gravitas that I can lend to you. Okay. To speak All right. Well, let's listen to it. Anyway, let's do a little bit of hard times. this is more of just like a slice of life uh picture of uh of you know what's going on uh in in his neighborhood but it's but it's kind of interesting because it's also like kind of feeling like an outsider even you're in your community your own community but you still could be like an outsider the the thing i wonder about him sometimes is is he a very shy person is he a very kind of like has he been bullied or something because first of all i like this word from my body house yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it means uh, a body house, B-A-W-D-Y, from my body. From my body house, I'm afraid to come outside. Although I'm filled with love, I'm afraid they'll hurt my pride. Yep. So I right. play the part I feel they want of me, and I pull the shades so I won't see them seeing me. Like, he seems, maybe it's a character, but the weird thing is, it sounds hard times like it's a song about you know, money or crime or darkness, but it sounds more like it's hard to be a person, Yes, you know, in right. the world with people looking at you and judging you. And that's how, that's what I get. Right. From- and, and like I said, that's why, but I feel like people that you feel like should have you, but like people in your own community and they're judging yeah. you and everything. That's the, yeah. and also I just, I, I got to mention just the uh, Quentin Joseph on drums and Joseph uh, Scott on bass guitar. Oh, what a great rhythm section. It's so, a lot yeah. of it's subtle. So, but the, the playing on this whole record is just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, that I, I saw this, I, I, you know, it's one of those things like YouTube, somebody you've been listening to a record, you never got to see them live, and then you go look on YouTube, is there somewhere where they're playing live? And there was this thing of them playing live, and it was those people. Oh, and nice, like, nice. And it was just so, it was so beautiful, and like, there's a sort of interesting thing about the band, like, you know, this is his band. Almost everybody in this band pretty well just played with him, except Quentin Joseph, the drummer. He played with a lot of people. And again, I don't know anything about drummers, but I hear you guys talk about drummers. I like when you do talk about drummers, but I don't know anything about drummers. And, but he's, you know, 
I know he's a great drummer. I know he's the great. Drummer, he's you know. so good because yeah. he just, like I said, it's subtle. Some of the great drummers, you don't necessarily, you know, you have drummers like like um, Keith Moon and stuff that stand out or Stuart Copeland, yeah. but there's just as many drummers that are just like so in the groove. They get such a groove, a tasty groove, and they know exactly when not to hit, hit a drum and when yeah, to hit. No. Yeah, and he was one of those. Yeah, drummers. no, I mean, I remember my brother getting mad at drummers kind of like... You know, thanks, Billy Cobham, but can you keep the beat? Exactly, kind of exactly. Well, that's the that's the curse because no, you know, no one could play like Keith. Keith Moon could play like Keith Moon. He was great, but there'd be a hundred drummers that wanted to play like him, but they couldn't, and it was just horrible. <laughs> anyway, this is the it's the the other thing that's interesting that we haven't mentioned is he has a conga player. Oh, the right. Conga okay. player, the conga player is in the band. He's not just sort of pretending to be in a band. If you go on YouTube, there's this song, we, we the People Were Darker Than Blue. And in the middle of that song, on the record, there's this conga um, solo, which I have to admit kind of doesn't work for me, kind of seems misplaced as much as I love him. But if you go... On YouTube, they have them doing it live, and the conga player is, he's, you know, he's very, he's kind of great. And I, you know, when I hear somebody has a conga player, I'm kind of like, really? Did, did, <laughs> what, did, did you find him? You know, where did you find the conga player? Is that um, Henry Gibson? Yeah, Henry, Henry Gibson. Gibson. Okay, yeah. awesome. But yeah, no, it's a great, he's got a great little band, and this is a great record to hear them on. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and now we, and, and I like, because the record as a whole, I would say is not super dark, but it is a little dark, but I like that he ends it with sort of like a, like a very hopeful song, like a song of yeah. hope. And it, to the I feel like, again, I don't know anything about actual music, but I feel like this last song really sounds like a last song and kind I'm, that's one thing I sort of is important to me in film, not to go kind of whatever on you, but ending how you end something oh right and i right, feel right. like this this song it you know you can end something in a way that almost fixes what came before and makes people feel like oh you know, I, you know this is smoother this makes more sense than i thought right right well yeah I, I i feel like he does that with this song he kind of wraps everything yeah, with up this song he kind of wraps it up in a nice little hopeful hopeful bow all right let's listen to a little bit of love to the people this song has the most obvious chorus on the whole record the whole you right, know love to yeah. the people a little bit but i also like at the end which i'll play it in the outro he does uh, a little final there's an outro part where it's kind of like i call it like pragmatic optimism it's like optimism but it's pragmatic optimism uh he says in the morning it's all right i'm not giving up this little pride i've got a lifetime to keep a living mind the way you do it is to get right to it yeah. Anyway, I, I I was thinking of this brother, little bit of brotherhood, guaranteed it could be good for the soul. I feel like that's a good, 
bit of lyrics for you and me meeting today and coming together to. Okay, I'm just, I can't really, I can't really sell that. <laughs> you sounded good. Yeah, it sounded okay. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. You know what? The thing is, first of all, Rob, you're not a monster. So just. Oh, thank you. Me, you're not a monster at all, and. And I'm glad you like the record, and I'm glad I picked this record. I love. I didn't like the record, Alan. I love this record. I really do, and I love and it. I'm I, dig, you know, dig the, more your into show it. is like, like I, you know, stuff about records and music and discovering stuff, and sometimes being like, okay, I don't have to buy that record. But you know, like I'm just just as a plug to you. Like I just slept on Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett, and then when you did that, Sid Barrett. Solo record, I I was like, what the fuck I know, have I right? Been, yeah. What have I been thinking? And also, it's like I'm a big fan of Skip Spencer, which you also did. And then the Sid Barrett record is basically the brother to Skip Spencer. They're both yes, yes, out right. of there. And it's like, and I just, I mean, I first of all, I was like, oh damn, I could have bought that original <laughs> upon a time but now even the reissue is expensive but uh, <laughs> i bought that one i bought the next one too which isn't as good but so anyway i, I the idea of turning people on to shit that they wouldn't hear any either you know I yeah think or or sometimes uh someone people think that they think that they, they don't like something it's something they know but then they, yeah. they go ah, you know what that's actually pretty good it's and it's not it's not yeah. as bad a record as i thought and that sometimes, happens sometimes yeah and sometimes you hear something is like oh good you know now i don't have to listen to it I'll again never, yeah that i'll never have to hear that again exactly. but anyway like uh yeah no i I, I did overthink it, but I'm glad I picked this, and I'm glad you that liked it. And it sounded great coming out of my computer here. And yeah, you know, yeah, no, I'm excited. It's all good. You won't hear me say it too often. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm excited because I know obviously there's going to be people that know uh, Curtis Mayfield and love him already, but I'm sure there'll be people that just didn't realize him. Oh my God, this is so good. So, Alan, what's the best if someone's not in Canada? What's the best? I know, like you said, vinyl, which I recommend to everyone. It is on uh, YouTube, the whole movie, and you could watch it on there. And yeah, it's great. And there's actually I made a I made a, an alternate version. A vinyl, it's called vinyl alternate take. It's all the outtakes. You know what? Uh, this is such a, you know, in Canada, we're like a foreign territory. And and <laughs> in general, the films don't make it down to the States, you know? Like, right. like I will say, if anybody that's listening is actually interested, just DM me and I'll send you a link to anything you want. But... Otherwise, yeah, vinyl's on YouTube. It's there for free. When Jews Were Funny, I think, is on iTunes or something like that. Uh, the Prime, there's a couple of my films are on Prime. Like four of my films, I think you can, you know, When Jews Were Funny is on Tubi. Like, but but I've made 11 feature docs and yeah, some of them, some of them will never be seen in the States. And there's... There's reasons for that, but you know, it's not, it's not like whatever. There's great local Minnesota directors that you'll never see their right. So, <laughs> That's true. So, not, you know, documentary is a hot thing, but there's also, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to get a doc onto Netflix or one of those things. People just think, oh, I'll go to Netflix and see your film. And it's like, I wish it was that easy. But, <laughs> right. But uh, I just want to mention if you're for anyone that does see vinyl and thinks, oh, man, what a because it is it can be depressing in a way. I was very happy to learn that you did. Uh, you have a daughter now and you have a much more fulfilled life and you're a much happier person than you seem yeah. to be uh, to make of that, which is great. It's a great. Uh, yeah. A great well, story. I you know what? Making that film changed my life. Right. That film became a cult film. It played everywhere. It was. One, you know, it was like in weird things. It's played in Britain. It, I had famous people who liked it. And it was once upon a time when there weren't a million music docs. It was on Pitchfork's 20 essential music documentaries, even though it's arguably not so much about music. Right. Yeah. So everything that's good happened to me from making that film about being miserable. Ah, so I awesome. recommend it to everybody. Just... You know, just wave your flag of misery and express yourself and 
good things will come to you. Yeah, too. And, and move on from that. All right. Well, speaking of misery, if you guys want to follow me and be a little, you can go on uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, you can go to that Facebook group got me high. That's a lot of fun. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH podcast. You can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. And most important, if you want to become a patron of the show and participate, we just did, uh, we just put out a uh, patron episode that uh, Alan submitted to, and, it, and uh, it's great. They're, they're really a lot of fun. And uh, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and become a patron of the show. But whether you do or not, yours, I really- is the only, yours is the only show I'm a patron of. Wow. Because, well, I, really because I really do listen to it. And because I, there's a bunch of shows that I used to listen to that if they mentioned, you know, Athletic Greens one more time, I was going to oh, Right, my- I know, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, I have to turn, you know, that's, you know, that show with the smart list like oh my god i have to turn it off for 10 minutes when when scotty starts talking about how much he likes the mcdonald fries oh i know like, I've, I've noticed that on other things now all of a sudden they're pitching mcdonald you know these i don't they're know pitching mcdonald's and McDonald's. and they're asking the host they don't have a commercial they're saying can you make it a like a heartfelt story yeah about right such and this guy this guy from you know will and grace goes for it he's like got a hundred stories he's made up about how his life has been saved by him and his husband having McDonald's fries. And it's like, I did like that show, but I will never listen to that no, again. And I don't yeah. care. That's so that's well, why I, I patronize you. Cause yeah. Alan promised me if I ever do start doing shit like that, you call, I give you full permission to call me out on it and say, Rob, knock it off. <laughs> I'll finally, as the only old Jew who's never been to Florida, I'll come down there. Okay, and kick my ass. I give you McDonald's <laughs> fries out of your mouth. All right, thanks again, Alan. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here.